Welcome back to the Wheel Every Weekend podcast. This is going to be kind of a weird episode because I'm here all by myself, which is strange. I don't know if I'm going to even post this thing because it's kind of weird to just sit here and listen to myself talk. Brittany is visiting her family and I just got home from work. So uh, we did the same thing we have done a couple times where we just asked a bunch of questions on Instagram and I'm just going to go through them and answer them. So this is just going to be like more viewer questions again. So let's just get straight into it. The first one just says off-roading slash camping responsibly. Uh, I don't really want to start off with too much of a rant about land use. So I'll skip that one for now, but I'm sure it'll come up later. This one says do an episode about trails you would love to do out of country. Oh man, you know, the one I would really like to do is the uh, Pan American Trail which goes like all the way across the Americas, respectively. Although um, all our vehicles are like massively overbuilt for it. And I would probably just get like some stock four wheel drive. Although I know there's a lot of it that's two wheel drive friendly. I would say 90% of it or so, even in South America. I mean, it's kind of like it's a um, well, for those of you who don't know, it goes all the way from South America to uh, North America but it's a lot of the locals use it as like a trucking trail. So it's pretty funny to see like the 18 wheelers or whatever passing by some like overlander. <laughs> um, the north section seems pretty cool, too, uh, mainly because you get to put your foot in the Arctic Ocean or whatever when you get all the way to the top. But uh, there are a lot cooler trails, it seems like you could do that are a little bit more intense and also have a little bit better uh, scenery than that north section, it seems like. Just judging by looking at a couple people's trips around that area. Um, and also, like, a lot of it you can just do in a car, too. Like, I know there's a lady with a Honda Civic who did the whole, like, north part of the Dempster or whatever, which I think is a Pan American Trail. Although, if it's not, be sure to tell me about it. Because uh, I could totally be wrong. This next one says Ultra Force suspension and your truck suspension. Well, they're not really the same at all because you would never use just like a shitty junkyard Kingpin Dana 60 if you were trying to like really place at King of the Hammers. Although it is a great axle, but uh, it's just the options with like, what are they? The fucking Spire tracks, I think. And the um Curry makes a couple, Diamond makes some, and then there are a couple other ones. You just get so much more steering angle than you do out of the stock stuff. And then they're also stronger and they might be lighter too, because the problem with the like the Ford Dana 60 is you have to have a giant truss and like even our truss isn't as strong. So the top link um, tried to rip itself off, but that's also just like partially bad design, which I have fixed. Um... Yeah, they're not really similar. They're separated by many, many thousands of dollars. The only thing that may be the same is like, look, we have links, but that's about it. And you can uh, in the higher classes of Ultra 4, you can do just like a dual triangulated four link, which is better with fully hydraulic steering, which is superior for racing. So also you are able to push the motor back so far that you have a ton of extra like shock mounting options. And yeah, they're just there are actually a ton of differences. Um, 
I've ridden in a couple Ultra 4 cars, though, and there is a huge difference in how they all feel, just judging by, like, what they've built it with or, like, wheelbase actually changed things a lot more than I thought it would. Um, going from transitioning from, like, the rocks to the desert, which I thought was interesting. So, yeah, had a cool opportunity recently, which is rad is... Starting out with a two-wheel drive vehicle, a bad idea when doing a three-link or leaf front end. No, I don't think so. I think you're almost better off starting off with a two-wheel drive because it's so much cheaper because you don't pay the four-wheel drive tax because what happens is, like, I'm guilty of this too. I'll buy a four before, and then I'm like, I don't want anything that the four before actually comes with. Like, I don't want any of the four before parts. And then I cut them all off and I throw them out, so... Especially like with the newer trucks, what you could do is get a two wheel drive, send the rear drive shaft out to a divorced Atlas, which then controls your two to four by. And so it sits. So you'll have your transmission. You'll have a tiny drive shaft, which goes into your transfer case, which is like a sealed unit. And then that will send drive shafts front and rear. That's kind of actually how like uh, the stock Samurai setup is, I think. But that was my plan for I'm doing a solid axle swap on like a pretty new truck. And I think I convinced the guy to sell his four wheel drive and then just get a two by because you can do it with almost no lights on the dash and you get like the speedometer works, all that good shit because you're keeping all the stock like drivetrain pretty much. And it gets all the like normal inputs that it, it would normally get. So that's kind of cool. And they're a little cheaper, too. So, yeah, it might be better. Um, the, like, 86 through 95 trucks, though, the two-wheel drive frame sucks pretty bad. And I'm assuming probably the rest of them, the two-wheel drive frame isn't as good as the four befores. But you you got to strengthen the frame either way. So, I don't know. Is it, like, an extra hour's worth of work and it saves you ten grand in purchase price? Or maybe it's not as big a difference. Who knows? Oh, this one says, what's our favorite camping spots? Uh, we don't like to talk about them, actually, because then they get super packed. And yeah, uh, I mean, we'll we'll tell people individually where places are. If someone messages and is like, where is this? If I do know where it is, I'll be like, oh, I think it's here. And I got no problems with that. But I, I don't want to like post my favorite spots just for everyone to see. This one says shock tuning camping fails your next trip building a UTV that doesn't suck and shitty products. So shock tuning, I'm going to have an actual shock tuner on to talk about it because I was even trying to explain like how you can have a linear piston, but have digressive valving and I fucking confuse myself like crazy. So it'll be way better to hear it from a professional camping fails. Oh, we've had a bunch, I feel like. There are a couple times where I, I like forgot to bring a sleeping bag or something like that inevitably, or we forgot one time we just straight up forgot fuel for our stove and we just had like sleep for dinner, <laughs> uh, which was good, I guess. So we we do stuff like that pretty often. It'll be easier with like I want to do like dedicated camping bins that stuff that are just like packed and ready and you don't really take the stuff out of it ever. And I want to do like a dedicated toolkit that's just in the truck that has all like the tools I need for doing like roadside repairs and stuff. 
because inevitably what ends up happening is I'm raiding my like work tools to decide what to bring on the trail and then I'll forget something. Uh, and inevitably it's the thing that you need or I won't put it back and then I'll try and use it at work. And I'm like, where the fuck are my tools right now, dude? And they're just in the truck. So that's annoying. Uh, what else? Building a UTV that doesn't suck. I've ridden in a couple UTVs and that's another thing where there is a huge performance difference like between uh, Can-Am X3 or like, no, the Commanders, which are like the like putzing around on your farm kind of ones and then versus like the Polaris Razors, which have like crazy travel stock. They're like totally different things. Um, one is like way smoother. It's like probably five times as smooth in the dirt. But the big problem with the UTVs is that you have like 31 inch tires. And so it, you will hit rocks and need to tune the suspension to absorb the impact of rocks that an air down 40 would simply roll over. So you're having to dampen like more kind of in that regard too, if that makes sense. That's like a way oversimplified thing, but yeah, and I don't know, a lot of them break too. Like they're always blowing CVT belts. I can't tell you how many I've replaced. And then um, what else? They break their suspension components a lot. It's all pretty thin tubing, which is fine because they don't weigh much, but I don't know what they make it out of. It's like super hard. And uh, the stock frames aren't even necessarily like welded all the way. Um, every time they have a like a Polaris or can-am like factory display i love to look at the frames that they have bare and just count how many joints they just like didn't weld the inside of the notch and it's usually like six or seven in fact the like 2020 polaris whatever it is i don't know shit about these things but literally it's like cage certification is um glued onto a spot that's within like two inches away from two notches that are just not welded all the way because they can't fit the robot inside or something. Oh, that's kind of weird. I guess it must be an interference fit. I'm sure they certify it without it and it doesn't need it, but I still think it's kind of weird. Uh, this one says the LA aquifer and how LA should give money and water back to the Eastern Sierra. I do not know anything about that, but yeah, fuck LA. Um, gearing tires and axles. Oh my. I don't really have anything specific to say about gearing tires or axles. I just feel like I don't have enough uh, objective experience with tires to really give like a super good endorsement. Other than I've had like two brands of tires now that just weren't balanceable and not round. Like most recently, the Gladiators just weren't round and discount was like, yeah, uh, I don't know what to do, but you're out of your tread life warranty or whatever. So we won't replace them. But they said uh, it looked like the mold they were using wasn't a circle. I was like, oh, awesome. So that's why we switched the Toyos. But yeah, I don't know. I've ran a bunch of tires. And I want to say that maybe like if you put all the mud terrains next to each other on the same truck, like same load rating, everything that you probably won't be able to notice much of a difference, except there are some that are like super loud on the freeway, I will say. But yeah, I wonder how much actual difference there is or if it's like pretty much the same. I think all terrains is for sure all pretty much the same, but maybe mud terrains are a little different only because you get like way bigger voids in some of them than you will in the others, which then of course 
usually translates to higher road noise unless they've done some like crazy computer shit to make it so that the harmonics like even out and crap. Who knows? Why does everyone pick Tacomas? I don't know. I think because they look cool. And uh, they're not like they Toyota's never built a truck that had a lot of power and they don't build trucks that get like good mileage, but they are pretty reliable for the most part. Uh, every auto manufacturer has their issues, but Toyota's like reliability rating is super duper high, although there are a bunch of other companies that are now creeping up on them. Um, mainly with some of their like recent issues. And then I know they spent $4 billion replacing frames on uh, the first gen Tacoma. So I'm sure that had to hurt their reliability rating a little bit, uh, which is also why new Tacoma frames are C channel still is because they lost $4 billion replacing the box frames. They couldn't figure out how to stop resting. So they were like, nope, fuck no, never doing that again. So that's why you get a C-channel frame in a Tacoma still to this day. So other hobbies besides off-road related stuff, I literally don't have any. None. This is, it's literally all I do. I used to, when I was a kid, I fought Muay Thai Pro-Am. Um, and I did Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, boxing, and I did Taekwondo. All for like 10 years or so. And besides that, I don't really have any hobbies. And I go to the gym. But literally, this is it. This is all I like to do. Although I, I do want to get some mountain bikes since our new house has our own private mountain bike spot. Um, but, man, they are not as cheap as I thought they would be. You can spend 20 grand on, like, a high-end e-bike. I had no idea that some of them were that much. But, yeah, I was looking at one. I rode it around and the guy was like, yeah, that one's on sale for 42 right now. And I was like, oh, OK, that's uh, kind of weird. And he was like, yeah, 4200. I was like, what? I thought he meant like 420. But yeah, five grand on a bike, dude. <sighs> Although I don't know, I spend more money on dumber stuff. So it's probably worth it in the end. Who knows? So this person wants to know solid axle swaps versus independent front suspension. Um, they're both good, pretty much. It depends on how they're designed. The IFS stuff is pretty weak, but so is the stock solid axle stuff. So it's just none of the stock stuff is strong. Like uh, they put a Dan. What would you rather have a eight inch high pinion IFS center section or a Dana 30, you're better off with the eight inch high pinion center section with the uh, CV axles. But uh, some of the new G jupes and stuff, you can get like dang old Dana 44s in the front. I'm kind of wondering if they came out with their like V8 option and stuff, if they're going to have to offer a Dana 60 in that. If so, that would be pretty rad. You get like a 450 horsepower V8, you get the dang old Dana 60s. That would be like the ultimate jupe. All right. Regearing and tire size correlation. Oh, yeah. The bigger the tires, the lower the gears, which helps a ton. And also, if you're going to do a bunch of rock crawling, you really need lower transfer case gears too. the stock. It's just not designed for it. Like you shouldn't have to like modulate the throttle and stuff. You should be able to just kind of like creep and make decisions. And that's another reason why people break stuff is because their gearing just won't let them go slow enough. 
where they like, you know, have the time, make the decisions and make small steering corrections, stuff like that. Everything just happens too fast. And it's all herky jerky, too. So like for the Tacoma, if you have a five speed and you're running 40s, people usually run 538s or 513s or 529s. Um, the oh, man, one of my huge pet peeves is like if you have 529s, people will write five semicolon 29, which means that it's a five to 29 gear ratio. It makes no sense. And then they're like, yeah. And then the one lower down is a four to 88 gear ratio, which is like a one to 20 ratio. So you're going from four to 88, which is one to 20 to five to 29, which is one to six. So that's a fucking whatever, 30 times increase or something crazy. Um, not really, but it's like a five times increase in gearing. What it is, is 5.29 semicolon one, because that's you're measuring the actual turns it takes. Like you turn the dangle ring gear how many times or you turn the pinion how many times to make one full revolution on the ring gear. That's what that measurement actually is. And that's why you can go from like a 410 to um, a 488 and it's not a 4210 to a 4288. And then you would go up from that to a 5 to 13, which would be like you're going from like a 1 to 2 to a 488, which is a 1 to 22 and then going down to a 410, which is like a 1 to 2 and a half. It doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's just one of my pet peeves. I don't know why, because everyone knows what they're talking about. But I love it when people are trying to sound like super smart on Facebook or something and they say that. And then you can always just respond with, oh, I didn't know that was a gear ratio. And it like shuts them up. I don't actually do that, though. I don't uh, do anything on Facebook at all because I think it's kind of toxic and weird and gross. But it's funny to read the comment section still. So I do love that. Um... Oh, and if you're going to re-gear, don't listen to people on the internet. What you do is you find a tire size and gearing calculator. You figure out what your final drive is in your trans. It's usually like 0.75 to 1. And then you input what your gearing is. And then you can check your RPMs on the freeway. That's, that's the only way that is actually reliable. You shouldn't just listen to other people. You should just do the math yourself and figure out what RPM range do you want to be on the freeway. Because also everyone's final drive is different. So if one person is like, oh, in my fucking Ford Ranger, I did this gear ratio for 35s. It's not going to be the same as like a normal five speed trans in a Toyota. And even uh, across different generations, it may not be the same too. Or also from automatic to manual. So like with if you're doing 40s on a first gen Tacoma, you can get away with doing 48s if you have an auto and it'll be fine for low range, too, because the torque converter slips a little bit. So I feel like that gives you a little bit lower range, but also the first gen um, Tacomas have slightly lower uh, T-case gears than the pickups did only by like 0.4, but still. So anyways, but if you have a five speed truck, you pretty much got to do 529s and um well, this is what it is. You got to do the math on it, though, and figure out where your stock RPMs are on the freeway. And then you can see, like, what RPMs do I want to shoot for on the freeway? 
and then pick a freaking gear ratio based off that. And um, yeah, so you can figure it out yourself, though. It's pretty easy. And then next one is DIY work versus shop services, pros and cons. Yeah, I'm always trying to encourage people to work on stuff themselves. But there's some things that like I I fucking have probably like 20 or 30 thousand dollars worth of tools. So it doesn't make any sense to do some stuff yourself. Or if you're doing like a complicated suspension thing, it's probably worth having someone who's done it a bunch of times do it. Um but it's it's cool to be able to do some stuff yourself. Like I, I encourage people to look up how to swap out a CV axle and maybe practice doing that a couple times and other stuff. But also at the end of the day, like like with wiring, I think I talked about this before, but I'm probably gonna have someone else help with wiring in our new shop. And I can do household wiring, but it makes more sense for me to do what I do for a living and then pay someone else who does that for a living because it's actually probably cheaper in the long run because who knows if I'll fuck it up. And then also you're getting someone who's a subject matter expert. So you work and make money in the area that you are a subject matter expert in. And then you pay someone else who's a subject matter expert in another area. So even though you can do a lot of this stuff on your own, there's definitely some things that you're going to want to have like a professional shop do. Not that I would call us professional shop really, but uh, yeah, it is what it is. And sometimes it's cheaper as well, like especially with welding, because you got to buy the welder. And it's like, oh, well, if you get a good welder, it's like twenty eight hundred bucks. And then if you buy a gas bottle brand new at air gas, it's like three fifty and then it's one fifty for the fill. And then you got, you know, a couple hundred hours worth of practice. You got to figure out what the right wire is. And then you might have a grounding issue and you got to fix that. Or there's a seal that goes out in your welder or it needs a PCB. And then you got to fix that. And then you know how to prep the materials right and you mess that up or maybe you burn it too hot and then it warps. It's just like uh, experience is worth something in and of itself. But yeah, it's cool to be able to do some stuff, though. And like if you're broke down on the trail, you don't want to be totally stuck. Although if you guys are broke down on the trail, you can always message us and I'll come out and get you. So just keep that in your noggin. Oh, trail drama. I don't really know if there's any trail dramas going on. Besides that, they're probably going to permanently close uh, Pismo now. And pretty much no off-road companies give a fuck. They're just going to lose a ton of revenue from that. Um, but they're they're super short-sighted, so it doesn't matter. But I'll, I won't get on my high horse on this one too much, I promise. Beginner's Guide, Overlander's Edition. Oh, funny you should mention that, because if you go... um three podcasts back we did one on like a beginner's intro to off-road and overlanding which would answer that question and then this one was how we plan a trip and the next place we want to see um i don't know how we plan a trip it's usually last minute or we'll like have an idea in our head and then just try and find a time when we can do it i don't even know where i i like find out where to go really one of the funny things um i do see is Nah, I don't even know what I was going to say. Yeah, how do we plan a trip? We don't do a very good job at it. It's usually very seat of the pants or we'll already be doing something else and try and include a trip of some kind into it. So a lot of the stuff is like business trips where we have to be somewhere at a certain time for some reason that's far away. 
and then we'll go wheeling on our way there or on our way back, I feel like. Um, this next one is how to set drive line angles, which I guess if you're talking about U-joints in a drive shaft, that's my guess. So you, there are two different ways you can do it. You can have a double carden joint um, up at the TK side, which is a little like a constant velocity joint, because as you spin a U-joint, it doesn't travel in a circle. It travels in an ellipse. And if you don't match the ellipses, you'll have like super crazy vibrations. But that dual carden gets rid of the elliptical travel in that part of the drive shaft. So because of that, at the axle side, you can point the axle up and have it almost in line with the U-joint. You actually, if it's leaf springs, you set it up just a little bit below the U-joint because as soon as it's under load, it'll wrap up a couple degrees. Um, I think, what was the number we would always use? Like three degrees below neutral or something, or like four, but also depends on how soft your leaves are. So if you have like crazy firm leaves, uh, you can probably do less degrees. And then the other way to do it is to have just two single joints. And in that case, what you have to do is take the angle of the flange coming off your transfer case. And then you take the angle of the drive shaft and those two angles, like where they intersect the angle in between them. I'm not doing a good job explaining this, but you got to take that angle and you have to mirror it on the other end and make it kind of like equal and opposite. So that usually ends up with your. Um, diff pointed kind of down, which sucks for clearance, like especially in a front end when you have kind of like a shorter front drive shaft, you want to keep it out of the rocks. It's better to have a CV at the front, but also in a front end too, uh, your front drive shaft isn't spinning that fast if you have selectable hubs because, uh, well, I'm talking about just rock crawlers, I guess, for you and like high speed four wheel drive is different. So maybe I don't say anything. But yeah, so with a CV, you can point it point your diff almost at the drive shaft. And then if you don't have a CV and they're single joints, the angles have to be equal and opposite, which kind of sucks, but you can make either work. So, you know, whatever. Uh, this one is linked versus a leaf spring suspension. Uh, that would be a whole can of worms. I don't know. I don't know if I'm really the guy to talk a lot about that. I mean, I guess I know some. Uh, have you guys ever seen the like quarter elliptical springs? They'll take a leaf spring and they will clamp the center of the leaf spring, like where the axle mounts, but they'll clamp that to the frame and then just bolt the leaf spring ends directly to the axle. It's crazy. All these people would do it back in the day on their buggies to score like really good at RTI ramps, but it handles so poorly that I think most have been cut off by now. Uh, now that RTI ramp competitions are less popular, although now it's like instead of RTI ramp competitions, you get like the Instagram flex competitions, which are almost as bad um, issues when you SAS an IFS rig that is 2010 or newer FJ Taco T4R. Doesn't T4R mean third gen forerunner? With in which case, wouldn't the 2010 and newer one not be a T4R, sir? Um, yeah, so in 09, the ABS and the extra nanny computers started to become much more invasive and you can still kind of get base models without those. But if you think of it like a pizza and let's say this pizza is $10 and you take half that pizza out and throw it in the trash for something else, that's kind of what you're doing when you get a new truck whose value is partially derived from its electronics 
and its on-road drivability and all that kind of junk and just pull that stuff off. Because if you look objectively, once you take away the newer technology and the like fancy lane assist departure and stoppy things and all the ABS and crap like that, um, you're left with like the drive line of the vehicle and the older drive lines are a little better than the new ones. And even in the cases in which they aren't, they aren't worse enough that it's not worth the money. So like, let's say you find a first gen Tacoma with a hundred thousand miles and you find a third gen Tacoma with a hundred thousand miles. The third gen is going to cost a lot more, but part of the reason that it costs a lot more is because of the electronics and how it drives on the road and blah, blah, blah. And you're getting rid of that. So I just worry that people aren't getting their money's worth and they aren't thinking it through when they do this one, which you could do is like sell your truck, get an older one, solid axle it and actually end up with in all regards, a superior vehicle. And it would also be cheaper too, mainly because, um, and you can put like a body kit on it if you really want it to look like the new ones. So that's my main worry with them. And also you get like shitloads of check engine lights on on the dash. And um, yeah, a bunch of your stock stuff just freaks out. Like you have to trick it into being in, into thinking it's in four wheel drive just to drive around and you end up without your speedometer working and there are all these lights on and a bunch of shit. And there's like one dude in the entire world who can reprogram the new ECUs. And I don't think he's even doing it anymore. So it's just fucking it's like it's a whole thing. It's just easier to do the older ones. And um, I feel like you get your money's worth out of them way more because you're not throwing away so much of the value right in the beginning. So that's my uh, personal thoughts. And I am also solid axling like a 2013 in the next couple months. So as everything, take it with a grain of salt, because also what if you really like absolutely love your new truck and you're like, fuck it. I don't care that I spent more money to have like more computers and to have the newer technology and the suspension and all that. I want to cut it off. That's that's you. You do you, baby. I don't care. It doesn't bother me at all. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know if you can sell your rig and then you can buy an older rig and then you could even probably pay for the solid axle with part of the cost of the sale, some of the newer vehicles, but you will not get as many likes on Instagram. So take that for what it is. And, uh, we all know shout outs are a form of currency, so it is possible that you could work it out to where you'd actually make money doing it the other way. So the next one is CNC plasma complicated suspension like cantilever or shocked radius arm internal BP. I'm assuming he's referring to the BP oil spill, but I'm not sure why he said internal. So I'll come back to that. Uh, CNC plasma. I don't know shit about it. We are getting one, though, and I've loaded parts into one a couple times and it actually seems pretty easy. You just follow like the book directions and. No, no, you can learn anything on YouTube. There's like this nice Indian dude who will explain anything computer related to on YouTube. Super easy. The other one is complicated suspension setups like cantilevers. I don't know why cantilevers became popular all of a sudden, but what it is is it's a trailing arm, but it's usually in the far back of the vehicle and the arm extends forward. And then you connect both the trailing arms with a sway bar, which I think is really cool. 
So originally on our truck, I was going to do a cantilever in the rear with a sway bar, but spline the ends of a sway bar for a Kingpin Dana 60 and put use actual Kingpin Dana 60 like hubs and bearings and spindle and everything on the ends. And then it would be a trailing arm and also a bunch of spares for the truck, like spare hubs and stuff. But then I added up the cost of doing it and decided that it was about, you know, like 30 grand out of the fucking budget or something like that. But they're super cool. It's kind of like an older way to do stuff. Uh, they you will have issues if your cantilever is like super aggressive or like um, you can do like a cantilever under the bed of some of the Tacomas as well. And then you end up with like a really short lever arm. And what happens is you'll either, you'll usually have like a digressive shock path where in the beginning of the suspension, the shock to axle may be moving at a one to one ratio. However, later on, you may only be getting a half inch of shock travel per one inch of, um, tire travel so it's hard to tune out that's why almost everyone does bypasses on them so i think with an aggressive enough bypass you could probably figure out how to nail it in right although i have very little experience with it the one i saw being tuned had huge problems with just like dead spots in the suspension pretty much that you could uh you could see like in slow-mo where shit would just like get all wonky but i don't know if it was like built right or if it's fucked up or what and then internal bp actually means internal bypass um Fox has a really cool coil over this internal bypass and they actually do a pretty good job without necking down the piston too much. It'll be like a three inch bypass and only necks down to like a two and a half inch piston or even a little bit bigger. Um, but that's kind of cool because then you get your coil over and your bypass all in one. Um, Bilstein uses the 8112s and what they have is they have like a floating piston inside which provides a bypass zone and then they put an air bump in it and so with that you get the same piston size as you do shock size you get the maximum amount of dampening which is cool I'm super into that and I'm hoping someday they will take that technology and they will just put it in their normal coilovers and then they will have the largest working piston of any internal bypass universal coilover ever Bilstein, if you're listening to this, you should do that <clears throat> just so I can run them. They'd be great. But I also like ACBs because it almost gives you a bypass feel, although it's kind of different because it's not dampening based on a zone. It's dampening based on um, hydraulic fluid that's being displaced by the shock shaft. So it's kind of different because it's like pretty much uh, shaft speed sensitive instead of just like zone sensitive but you can almost get a bypass feel out of it i think but i don't know shit how does moose put up with you um i don't know dude he's so pouty all the time we really lucked out with him but also like i don't think he knows how good his life is like i haven't been running the air conditioner at all because he's scared of the air conditioner and won't sleep in the room and i feel bad when he just like sleeps by himself uh, the next question from Daniel Seek Out Beauty. He wants to know, why do you think my truck is so slow? Um, I don't know. I, I think his truck needs keto, probably. Um, next question is, have you ever heard of Billet? Oh, yeah. This cracks me up because people say Billet like it's a grade of materials when the dictionary definition of Billet is just a bar of metal. So it literally just means it's a bar and it's like a subtractive forming process where you're doing like CNC. But 
you can have like any grade aluminum be billet. It just it's like it's not referring to a grade of anything. It's not even return referring to a kind of metal, too, because you can have billet steel. It's just like a bar of steel. You know what I mean? But it's a good marketing word. So I think the hipsters took that over, too. And uh, they've been really killing it. And I'm a huge hypocrite because I say billet aluminum on our site. So don't listen to me. All right. The next one is gross vehicle weight rating and weight distribution, how it affects its wear. Yeah, dude, I don't think a lot of these people have heard of a payload rating before, but there's only a certain amount of weight that you're allowed to like put in your bed. And that's your payload. And then you have your GVWR, which is gross vehicle weight rating. And then you have your GCVWR, which is gross combined vehicle weight rating. And so that'll tell you like how much you can tow with a trailer and then how much you can put in your bed and stuff like that. And people go like above it or they get really close to it and then off road. That number is designed for on road. That's like how much can you have on the freeway in your bed? So if you're getting even close to that number and off roading with it, you're asking for problems. And like I said earlier, because Toyota lost four billion dollars to the frame issues, the new frames are still C channel. And so you can start warping a lot of your frame stuff, although um, probably like almost every Tacoma that's been off-roaded, the frame is a little tweaked, but it just depends how far it can get until you notice. But um, I'll have a couple trucks a month that come in the shop and they'll have marks from where their truck bed smacks into their cabs sometimes. It's like that's how much frame flex you can get from this stuff, and especially if it's overloaded. And then also uh, people hang a, a ton of weight behind the rear axle with like the swing out and stuff, which is actually good if you're going over whoops, because for some reason, having the weight back there keeps you kind of going straight in the whoops. And it sort of stops the ass end from kicking around all cattywampus left and right. But if you have too much and you're just driving around all the time and then you still have the C-channel frame and stuff, it starts to like bend stuff and it can negatively affect handling as well because the rear end is squatting and then the front end will lift a little bit and then uh, you can get kind of like a squirrely steering feel and just won't be as comfortable. But they're also, like I said, with like hitting whoops and stuff, there's sometimes that it's good. And like our truck, um, our batteries and our tire are in the last spot that I wanted to put them, but it's the only spot it fits too. So a lot of the shit, it's like you're not going to not have a swing out on your truck if you have like 37s because it doesn't fit under the bed. And then when it's in the bed, it takes up the entire bed. Like one 40-inch tire takes up an entire Tacoma bed. It's super annoying. And I don't suggest uh, just cutting your frame off to fix that. Um, so that affects wear pretty good. And then some people trip out about adding a bunch of front end weight, but I actually want to add more to ours so I can go up in spring rate, although it would probably feel like exactly the same. But our front end is kind of light um, in comparison. I'm going to scale the truck after it's built too and sort of check the corner weights and then I'm going to see how close all my coil spring calculations because you can calculate corner weight based on how much your coils are compressed if you know your linear spring rate and ours are all mounted well the fronts are mounted at one to one so it's super easy you just multiply the linear spring rate by the amount of inches it's compressed and then you know the corner weight so I'm going to try and scale it and see I think that'll be interesting Best resource to learn about off-road vehicles. Well, you can tune into the Wheel Every Weekend podcast every week that we feel like doing it. Um, fuck, I don't know, man. 
I don't think you should learn about off-road vehicles. I think probably just like, just do something better with your life. And when is the next big trip? Probably never. I think we're uh, done off-roading forever. Can you talk about 12 volt refrigerators? Yeah, I wanted to do a full review on our Dometic, but um, Dometic gave it to us for free. So I don't really feel like I can do a review because like, what the fuck would my word mean? Because I could even be like, oh, you know, it for sure doesn't affect our opinion of it. But, you know, it does if you got it for free. So I'm going to do a bunch of like honest off road reviews on our YouTube, all of products that uh, like we just buy and talk about. Because I don't, I don't want to like, I don't know. If something sucks, I don't want to have to not say it sucks. And then you guys don't believe me when I say something doesn't suck. You know what I mean? It, it's just not good. So 12-volt refrigerators. I love our Dometic. I got it for free. Dometic doesn't follow us. And the dude who gave it to us has been fired since then. Maybe because he gave it to us, probably actually. And uh, they don't even remember they gave it to us. But I uh, I think it's great. It got full of metal shavings for like years. It's been running nonstop for like three years. Totally exposed to the elements. For a while, I was getting pissed because it wasn't working as good. And then I pulled it apart and I found like the condenser coils or whatever. The little radiator looking thing in there. Packed full of mud. So I, <laughs> I hosed it off and I put it together. And all of a sudden, it works a lot better than it used to. And uh, yeah, I like it a lot. I think that and uh, ARB has a couple good options. You can check out Ingle. There is a 12 volt fridge at Costco right now, a 50 liter for 300 bucks that I want to get and try. Actually, it might even be 200. But dude, that's a deal. I wonder if it's as good as the other ones. I know ARB has a like a more rugged version. I don't know if that's really necessary because literally our Dometic, like I broke the handles off it. I broke the slide that comes with it the first time we used it because it got full of dirt and stopped working. I've had to rip the cover off to make a fuel pump shield. It's gotten full of mud, metal shaving, shot sparks all over it, and it probably still works as good as the day we got it. So I don't know if like a ruggedized version is worth it, because if I can't break it, like who's going to break it? You know what I mean? So, yeah, that's my endorsement for Dometic. But keep in mind, we did get it for free. So even though I'm saying, even though I know that they don't even know that they gave it to us, I feel like subconsciously it may still affect our review. But I do genuinely like it. So when is our first expedition? Well, I go on expeditions every morning to Starbucks. So I don't know. Um, we're going to do some much longer trips in the future when our schedules are more flexible, but we've been working literally, uh, like 70 to 80 hour weeks. So, and I, I haven't had time to work on our truck too. So I need to work on our truck and finish rebuilding our website and then, um, finish doing a bunch of product photos. I, we have two more patents that we're doing too before um, any of our stuff comes out and blah, blah, blah. It's just like one freaking thing after the other. And then every morning, I also, I probably spend like two hours before work shipping orders too. So yeah, it's hard to find time right now, but we need to go back because I'm starting to get like salty about it and not care as much. So I feel like I need a reset. Like one really good trip would probably fix it. Talk about spiky shovels. Yeah, those are kind of ridiculous. Although they work really good for ice. 
Talk about all the random shit gear y'all bring with you and how it's essential. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if we bring much that isn't essential. We did bring a blender for margaritas one time. Um, that probably wasn't necessary, but that was pretty cool. And uh, shoot, we pack pretty light, man. I wouldn't bring much shit. Most of what we bring is tools. And so like our old toolbox setup worked fine for the amount of shit we bring. Uh, the only reason this new setup has more storage is because I use it for work. So I want it more of a work bed, too. Um, but fuck, I don't know what we bring that isn't essential. I guess a 12 volt fridge. We could just have a cooler instead or I don't know, though. You can't really beat a little Coleman two burner propane stove. The green one. Shit, that's I mean, that's hard to beat. And besides that, all our food is super lightweight. We probably bring too much beer, though, especially because I don't really drink beer that much. Um, Brittany does, though. Let me tell you what. Uh, yeah, that wasn't very interesting. So I had to listen to that. Stories about being stuck, broke down and how you got out. Hmm. Well, I feel like we've covered that in all our other podcasts. There's a time we broke uh, a front axle on the Rubicon and it friction welded the bearings to the spindle so you can actually pull it off to swap out the axle. So I just like unbolted the wheel bearing and tried to drop the axle off a ledge to see if that would like unbind it. And it totally didn't at all. And then I ended up just having to take it off from the trunnions. That was pretty bad. And then I've broken a rear drive shaft like four times now. There's, of course, our nightmare Death Valley trip, which I know has been in other podcasts. Um, blah, blah, blah. Yes, yeah, is pretty much the stuff from other podcasts. If you want to listen to our trail breakdowns podcast, that one has some pretty funny ones going back to like 2008 or something. So, yeah. This one says you don't need a bunch of gear to go out and explore education over gear. Yes, other things don't be like uh, you don't have to like buy a bunch of stuff to go out. Like when I first started going out, we would get like a gallon of Arizona iced tea, not even have a cooler and just like dry food and put up a mattress in our bed. And I'm like, I mean, I was pretty happy, but now I'm older and I'm kind of spoiled and like angry and I, I have to like sleep good and eat good and stuff. But at the end of the day, like you can have a good time just in like a car driving around. And there's a lot of beautiful places in this country that is definitely worth seeing that you could just like camp out of your car and go around and see and have an awesome time. Is there any good wheeling in the Midwest? No, there's nothing good in the Midwest. You didn't have to put wheeling in there. You could have just said, is there any good in the, in the Midwest? And the answer is no. Um, just kidding. But for real, I have no idea what it takes to run your own fan shop. That's a whole thing. Um, fans, you got ceiling, you got the like wall mounts. You have to have like the pretty fans, the industrial fans. You really have to diversify and then you have to hit your audience pretty hard too. Like we have a store here called fan Diego and they win my business just on funny name alone. So, yeah, I don't know. And then this next question says, shit, did I say fab or fan? I meant fab. Uh, well, I already told you how to run a fan shop. So should I give this guy two questions? All right, fine. Uh, don't use us as an example for a fab shop because we it's I like fell into this by accident. And like I've said before, we don't advertise and I'm pretty selective about taking on jobs. And I'm very thankful to be able to do that, too, because this is a thing I think people don't realize is um, 
my back's broken in like three places and I have a bunch of pinched nerves and all the stuff. And so I have like pretty debilitating nerve pain a lot of days. So the other thing too, is I have to be able to completely pick my schedule. Um, so I can keep that in mind. Although what ends up happening is I'm like a worse boss to myself than I am to anyone else. And I just force myself to work all the time. Like this weekend, I, uh, Saturday and Sunday, I probably worked like 12 or 13 hours and it was a hundred out. And that only includes like time at the shop, not time going other places to work too, which I had two other places that I went and did stuff. So yeah, don't, don't emulate us, but if you want, man, just, I mean, start doing it. You can go to your community college and get a welding cert. Uh, I took welding classes at the community college and I actually learned a ton from them. And then besides that, you pretty much just have to start doing it. And there's a huge barrier to entry in tools and, uh, fuck man, don't be afraid to buy some Harbor Freight shit when you're first starting out. Don't be, um, uh, Harbor Freight mechanic with snap on tools. You know what I mean? Like you can, you can get by with a little hundred dollar Harbor Freight chop saw and, uh, the new Harbor Freight welders are okay. Their welding carts are fantastic. They're the best welding carts on the market. I will say that, but like their welders are okay. And, you know, just start doing it, jump into it. Learn how to quote jobs, which is pretty much from experience and do good work too. just have some pride in your work. Um, Like I won't let anything leave unless it's just right. And uh, that's another thing, too, is I'm not the cheapest shop around by far. And I send other shops jobs way more than I take on jobs. So. Like if you're a local shop and I like you, you've probably gotten a ton of work from me, whether you know it, know it or not. Uh, this one says moose stories. Uh, I don't have any moose stories, really. Not that I can think of. He's so silly. We're pretty lucky we have him. Um, we're going to get him a friend soon when we move to our new house. How to measure suspension travel slash what actually increases travel. Yeah, this is a thing that I need to do a video on because everybody thinks that lifting your truck means you're getting more travel when you're really just changing the relationship of bump to droop and you're not getting any more travel. And then if you're going to increase your travel, you either have to like get rid of whatever is limiting it. So if your shock is limiting it, you can get a slightly longer shock, but then usually your suspension will start to bind or like the upper ball joint smacks into coilovers on the front of Tacomas when you try and droop them out too far. Like if you try and do mid travel, which I still don't think is really real because when you take a mid travel truck and you droop it out all the way, you can't fucking turn the wheel because the CV's bind so bad. So uh, I'm sure I've talked about that like a million times. Uh, so you can increase your suspension travel pretty much with a long arm kit. You need to increase the length of your arms so that the angles stay more uh, better relative to each other. Um, with longer arms, as something travels in an arc, it experiences less change. So that's the idea behind having longer arms. And then uh, you'll need different shocks to something that strokes longer, or you got to move your shock mount in so that your motion ratio is different. But Besides that, I don't know what you can do besides like long travel or you could always solid axle it like most solid axle swaps are going to run 12 or 14 inch coilovers as standard, which are pretty easy to fit. You can almost fit tens like in the fender wells kind of nice Two, 
And then the benefit with tens is that you can run a firmer spring rate. So you can end up with one that probably uh, rides on the road slightly better. Although if you that's only because it's impossible to package a sway bar in the front of a three link. Well, it's not impossible. I mean, a bunch of people have done it. It's just super hard. It's not worth paying a shop to do because it'll take them like 10 hours in shop time just trying to check clearances and stuff. So that'll be kind of insane. So, yeah, don't change your spring rate to try and increase handling. If you're happy with the ride height, you should handling is not something you really control with that. So how to pick appropriate shock valving for your vehicle? Fuck, man, I don't know. If you can find a kit that has an application specific dampener that's been tuned to it, like a lot of the long travel kits, um, some of them at least will have a part number that's application specific and totally custom to that long travel kit. And they've taken it out and tuned it and they've checked it and it's totally good. What you don't want to do is do like a common off the shelf kit and then try and put like a universal shock on it and then try and valve it the way that they've already figured out how to valve it. It's just kind of a waste of time unless you like really or unless you get like one for free or something. Who knows? Um, so, yeah, I would say just try and pick a like application specific custom valve shock. And then there are also some companies that will offer you custom valving. You just got to make sure that uh, you know exactly what you're getting and what you want and stuff. And then things you always forget going wheeling or camping. Well, it's usually pillows, I would say, is the most common thing that we forget or some random tool. Or one time I lost my wallet. And we spent like six hours looking for it and it was just behind my seat. So that was pretty good. Um, probably drove a couple hundred miles trying to go around all the spots we'd been and find it. This one wants to know about the springs on that flatbed you showed earlier in the week. Oh yeah, I don't want to talk about this too much until uh, he's ready to post it. But um, our friend is building kind of like a custom earth roamer type thing. And so the panels for the actual camper section are made of like a composite of materials and it's like fiberglass and foam and some of the panels have like a steel core and then there's like some other shit in there but anyways you have to isolate the camper from the frame because the frame flexes so much so that's the same reason why like people with the four-wheel campers it mounts with those little like aircraft cable dongles and um, that's because it, the frame flexes so much that if you were to mount that in like a bunch of spots on the bed, it would just flex the panels apart and rip them. There's actually this guy, Muse Roamer, who built a uh, like kind of Earth Roamer looking type thing. And he didn't have like a separate frame with springs and a little Delrin pad to isolate the camper panels from the frame flexing. And his ripped in half like his first time using it. And then he spent like two episodes fiberglassing over it. So, yeah, that thing is going to be pretty cool when it's done. Um, what's the next question? Aluminum versus steel links. Yeah, I really like aluminum links. They're awesome. The 7075 T6 aluminum links. But in my experience, they have a tendency to gouge, which isn't a problem if you're racing. But if you're like a recreational wheeler, I don't know. I feel like you just don't get as long out of them as you do with steel links. So I think. The best of both worlds is like a 188 wall, 4130 um, on the outside, and then just do a solid bar of 7075 or, or 6061 or whatever is at the metal supply place. Uh, 
And then that you kind of get like the hardness of the 4130 will be super resistant to gouging. And then um, the aluminum will stop it from going like banana shaped and stuff. You know what I mean? So I think that's the best of both worlds. I've done that a couple times for people and I haven't had anyone tell me that they've bent them yet. So I should DM them and ask, but I'm going to do that. Uh, our links are fucked and they're 375 wall. So that's pretty good. Yeah. People are ruining good camping slash fishing spots and trails. Yeah, dude. Motherfuckers be geotagging or like putting stuff in YouTube videos that didn't used to get a bunch of people going. Now a bunch of people go. What's funny, too, is I've noticed recently like a bunch of influencers who are like, don't geotag. Then will also be sponsored by like a GPS company. And they'll be like, don't geotag. But I'm also shilling this product that lets you find all these like special places even easier than if I had been geotagging. So I don't know what the fucking cognitive disconnect is there. That's something that's weird. But I don't know. The more people that see these cool things, I'm kind of happy about it. But also just don't fuck them up. And there's some places, too, that literally can't handle a giant influx of vehicles. But I think that'll be um, pretty heavily regulated from now on because kind of everybody hates off-roaders and especially uh, lately. So, yeah. This one says shit on overlanders some more. That's like pretty much my whole life. I don't know why, because we're like literally the stereotypical overlanders. Like we have the fridge, we go to fucking meetups, went to fucking overland expo and I'm still like talking shit. So just keep in mind that I'm also like no one talks shit on me harder than me. Like no, literally no one hates me more than I do. So if you hate me, just know that you're in good company with me. And then this one says, talk about the right situations to SAS your truck. Yeah, a lot of people don't actually need to solid axle swap their stuff. But if you're going through front end components like there's no tomorrow and you're sick of spending it on it, and mainly if you have enough saved up to do it, it, it can be a pretty huge upgrade all around. Um, I don't know what the good situation is, man. That's up to the individual person. I mean, I'm not actually here to tell people to do anything. I'm just like saying the things that I've learned. Ultimately, it's up to you whether or not you want it. But I would say ride in a couple solid axle rigs off road from the shop that you're going to have solid axle it because um, you can post a flex photo on Instagram all day. It's so easy. And even what some companies do is they'll have like air shocks in the front and they'll just pull all the pressure out of one side or they'll take the coilovers and spin the top collar all the way up and then drive up the ramp and take photos like that. And you can literally you can get insane amounts of flex. I was actually thinking about doing it. So don't call me out on it when I do. I'll make it super obvious that I did it, though. So you can call me out. Um, yeah, definitely ride one off road and then try and drive it on the street, because if you're trying to have a dual purpose rig, like you got to be able to drive it on the street. And there's certain ways that you have to set up like a link front end, especially with hydro assist in order to keep it uh, the steering safe on the street. So, yeah, I think that's probably the best way to do it, though, is you want to drive. I would try and drive like even more than one of theirs, like ask if you can meet them out in the desert and like just bomb it around with them a little bit or have them in it and then use some other stuff for reference too. tell us when you're getting Musa girlfriend. We so when we move to the new house, we're going to get Musa friend. I, I want a small dog, but Brittany wants a big dog again. And you can see how that worked for us last time with our fucking 90 pound pit bull. 
So we'll probably compromise again and end up with a 100-pound Rottweiler because um, Brittany always wins. Tell us about your trail food quest for the best microwavable meal. Oh, dude, that buffalo mac and cheese is fire. But so we're putting an inverter in the new truck. Um, we have a crazy alternator. It's rated for like 320 amps. And then we have the dual batteries which connect together and they're enough to power an inverter that's big enough for a microwave pretty easily. So our new trail setup is we're doing nothing but microwave meals. We're talking popcorn, whatever. But I really like those... Uh, they have the like the devour ones are good. And then they have a line of like healthy, like single serve microwave meals, which are actually pretty good. I had one that was like, uh, what's that Indian chicken, chicken tikka masala. And I had some brown rice and some other stuff. And I was like, fuck, this shit's good, dude. Or like burrito bowls or stuff like that. <clears throat> Just microwave them real quick. And man, they're not bad at all. So I'll do a, a full thing to to uh, show you guys. The next one is useless mods. Oh, dude. Limb risers, solar panels where they glare so bad you can't see like solar panels on your hood. I love that shit. I'm like, fuck, dude, that's got to be dangerous when the sun like glints into your eye and then you kill someone. But at least your battery's topped off. What else? I've done a bunch of stupid ass mods that I regret, too. Like the ARV. That's one I hate. Uh, more suspension talk, brands, benefits, and drawbacks of each, and maybe best uses for different setups. That one, so I will do a full podcast on um, some of the brands and then like what innovative stuff they offer, like how Fox has the internal bypass coilovers that are super cool. And then ADS has one. It's like a coilover with a bypass stacked on top of it that's like fucking 50 inches long, but it combines everything. So it's kind of easier to package depending on, I guess, actually what you're doing. And then, um, yeah, there are a bunch of companies that have super innovative stuff. And then there are a couple of companies that are like new to the market, which are just selling like Alibaba stuff pretty much. They just go on Alibaba and import a container full of stuff and then resell it. So I'll talk about that in a future podcast. Stay tuned. When are you TTB swap is happening? Uh, TTB is twin torsion beam. That'd be like on the older Broncos or maybe Ford Rangers or maybe they Everybody swaps them to that to make pre-runners. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I guess I'd have to build a time machine to back when that was actually a good idea. Like whatever, 30 years ago. Um, probably won't be doing that because it's 2020. Steve, um, talk about trail dogs and the ones you've camped with over the years. I, yeah, we went wheeling with this one dude who had this Jeep that he had like, his swing out had so much weight on it that when he would open it, I thought he was going to roll on like a side hill. It would almost flop his little two-door right over. But yeah, this super cute little dog named Toby Mac. That motherfucker bit the shit out of me one day, like reared up. This dude, this dog had so much personality uh, for just a little guy. And what else? Oh, we've camped with so many dogs. It's probably one of the best parts is getting to meet everybody's dog. I'm kind of going off on a tangent. I'll probably cut that part out. Solid axle swapping. Everything you think you know, but don't. Yeah, I'm going to do maybe a whole one with my friend who is a mechanical engineer who also is kind of a car nerd and has like a, a minor in automotive something or other. And we're going to talk about nothing but three and four links. And uh, I'm also going to do a little thing where I like screen share with the link calculator and then show people how to go through it. And then I'm also going to do one where I screen share while doing like a 3d modeling thing. 
which I'm kind of an idiot at. So it's probably going to be pretty rough and involve a lot of editing. So don't expect that one soon. But it's cool because you can assess like the stress of any individual component and like if it's designed good and stuff. But it's there's a bunch of like add ons you have to buy that are expensive. So yeah, it's all thing. Why are 80 series so damn expensive? Dude, I don't know. It seems like now people are getting into like older stuff again and the 80 series are like the hipsters love for overlanding um so they got pricey man i wish i knew that because they used to be dirt cheap and i could just bought a bunch i think that fucking overland bound dude made him um kind of pricey too because he's got one and so i think people see that and then they're like oh fuck it's great out of the box and it is it's they're really good out of the box and suspension kind of sucks but you get the FJ80 axles are great. If you're going to put them under like a mini truck, they're fucking baller as long as you keep the tire size pretty low. And this dude says, talk about learning. I know that is vague, but it is a common issue. Yeah, it's I have issues explaining things because I have a what is it called? An identic, eidetic memory or something. So it was more so when I was a kid, but I still have it a little bit where if I see something, I can memorize it, but it doesn't show up as words I see in like pictures. But literally when I was a kid, I used to be like, oh, yeah, I remember that. It was on like page 97 in the left hand side. I can see a picture of how the page looks. And then I maybe wouldn't get like uh, all the specific words, but I could tell you like the general idea of them. I think it's called eidetic. E-I-D-E-T-I-C. But anyways, I've gotten kind of dumber as I've gotten older, so I don't have it as much, but I still have like a little bit of the leftovers of it. So I think that actually explains why I have so many issues like explaining stuff on this podcast. Because, um, yeah, it, I see things as like pictures, but it's like a photographic memory, but different. And uh, that wasn't really about learning at all, though. But I, I don't know. I'm just really fucking interested in this stuff. And I don't give a shit about learning about things I don't care about, though. So, like, when I was in high school, I didn't go to any of my English classes the last two years. I went to my martial arts class instead because it was really cool. We did martial arts instead of PE. So it was like Taekwondo Monday through Thursday. And then Fridays we would do jujitsu. Um, and so I did that. And there was one time where I was doing like three or four periods a day of just martial arts, which I really liked. And of course I took that went into Muay Thai and then blah, blah, blah. Got my ass kicked by like a 13 year old Thai girl. I was like, shit, I better fucking practice this sport. Cause I'm gonna get my ass beat. So yeah. Um, I don't know. It's hard to learn stuff you don't care about, but this stuff I think is like so interesting how things actually work that I don't know how everybody isn't fascinated by them and like kind of obsessed I'm also an obsessive person, which I'm sure everyone is like screaming at their headphones right now. Like, fucking duh, of course you are. Yeah, but I just kind of realized that like a couple days ago. I was like, I only get obsessed by like a couple things, but dude, I I have problems. I just like go into things too hard. Like it's, it's all or nothing. I can't I can't just like work 40 hours and go home, do like a nine to five. I have to, it has to be like always happening. Uh, the craziest DIY thing you've seen on someone's vehicle they brought in. I wouldn't mention it even if I did remember it. A lot of the reasons I don't I don't post most of the jobs I do because a lot of them involve cutting off other shops work and redoing it. And I don't need a bunch of shops all fucking butthurt at me. Um, 
And also, I think it's boring. Like our page is supposed to be about us, our truck and our adventures. So I, don't know, I just think it's boring if I show you guys the same like the same exact link set up like eight times. And yeah, so I try not to like I don't share any of that or if they tag me in it. I'm like, oh, yeah, rad, but I'm not going to share it on mine. Um, but all our shop works all the way through word of mouth only pretty much. Uh, or I guess if you listen to this podcast and you want something done, like I do have a couple openings for three links at the end of the year, like kind of in winter time. I think I could do two more maybe. Um, so yeah, if you want a three link done, let me know. But yeah, I, I don't know what the craziest DIY thing I've seen is. I've seen a lot of booty fab, but most of it isn't DIY. Most of it's from like other places nearby who are just on like tons of cocaine, just like cocaine and Harbor Freight welding. That's it. So uh, this next person responded, but they just put a space and that was it. So that's interesting. Gear that everyone brings and never uses dead weight. Yeah, after every trip, we'll go through our shit and we'll be like, did we even take this out? Did we even take this out? Like what I used to do with shirts is I, I'd line them up in my closet with all the clothes hangers pointed in. And then if I wore that shirt, when I hung it up again, I'd have the clothes hanger pointed out. And then if I went like three months with the clothes hanger still pointed in and it wasn't like a special occasion thing, I would just uh, give it away. But I don't do that anymore because I don't care. And I just wear the same shirt every day. I just have like 20 Wheel Every Weekend shirts I got for myself and I just rotate them. So I'm like a fucking Simpsons character pretty much, but with more um, self-loathing. And then this person wants to know about axles for solid axle swap. I don't know if I'm the best about that, too. I, I don't even think I've ever used a Chevy axle. A Chevy 60, which has the diff on the other side. But Ford Kingpin, it's like a 80. Fuck, it's like an 83 through 92 or 94. Maybe. Yeah, 94. Ford Kingpins are great. The 95 and up ball joints can be OK if you replace the ball joints. But the ball joints are super weak. The 05 plus are like fucking awesome axles. And then I think even like 2011 plus is even better than that as well. Um, those are all same axle like nomenclature, though. That's all Dana 60, but they're like little upgrades as you go. And then you also get a better rear axle too, like the new Sterling rear axle. I really like it. If you look at like just the calipers and rotors and everything is like built super well and yeah, it's going to be great. And also in our new shop, I think I'm I hope Brittany doesn't listen to this, but I think I've figured out that um, we're going to bring the other lift from our shop and put it up. And then Brittany can solid axle our double cab on that lift while I work on the other one. So that'll be really cool. I want to see her completely build a truck from the ground up and then get to drive it around and stuff and then have a bunch of problems and fucking be welding shit back together on the side of the road blah blah i think it'd be great good bonding experience um common engine swaps into toyota pickups the the 350 is pretty common uh they even make like engine mount adapters for it there's a ls swap kit the most common engine swap into a pickup is probably going from a 3.0 to 3.4 so uh, it's the same block, and then you can get like a $500 conversion harness. And um, yeah, it's pretty easy. But there are LS swap kits as well. I think those are getting more popular. 
I know like 20 or 30 people have done it. Uh, that seems like the way to go. I don't think it's worth doing an engine swap with anything else. People swapped in like four BTs and stuff. That's like a thousand pound engine. And it's just, it's a weird application for it. You're putting like an industrial motor into um, like a small truck. So that doesn't make much sense. Uh, I haven't seen many engine swaps with any of the newer trucks. I think it would be pretty much impossible. Like there are LS swap kits for Jeeps, but I don't think you could do the same thing with like a third gen Tacoma and make all the stock shit work because everything is too proprietary with all the Toyota computer stuff. So yes, why you shouldn't give Overland Bound any money. That dude, I am fascinated by him. I would love to sit down with him and just talk to him because he's kind of a marketing genius because he essentially has his forum and he like sells merch and videos and he lives off it. And it seems like he makes a pretty good living because if you just add up the amount of money he's made on those uh, memberships that he sells, it's a little over two million dollars. Um, so it's, it's kind of crazy. And then he gets a bunch of parts thrown at him. And I guess the main thing they offer is the forum, although I believe you can use it for free. So it's like people electing to pay him and I'm not mad at him at all. He's he, his system. I believe he used to work in like casinos or something. And so what he's done is kind of like gamified camping. So he his forums have like a rank system and you get like rewards for stuff. And it's the same kind of like algorithmic reward that a casino or like those uh, games on your phone would use to reward you for things. And uh, yeah, frankly, I don't know. I think he's kind of a genius, although I do think that he's just like taking people's money. And what pisses me off is if you go on the Overland Bound thing, um, there'll be some random thread that's like, oh, how do you repaint your rock sliders? And it'll have like a thousand pages. And then if you go into like the land use section, there's like 10 posts in it. I'm like, fuck, man, that's annoying. But um, yeah, it's. I don't know. I ain't got nothing against it. I just think it's a scam for sure. You can listen uh, if you want. There is a really good video with, I think, Overland memes and Overland Bound debated. And one of the things he doesn't do is give back to land use in a way that um, is actually like meaningful. Like once you reach a certain point, I feel like you have an obligation to give back to land use. And the one thing people always do is they're like, yeah, you know, pick up your trash. Make sure everyone picks up their trash, which is great because I fucking hate seeing trash everywhere. But at the same time, I can't actually think of a trail that's been closed down due to trash. And so the picking up trash thing is awesome. But if you really want trails to not get shut down, I think it's more important to have people who legislate for us. So like we're playing a defensive game right now in California where they're, they try and shut shit down and then like, Octi Wells. There's a four-year legal battle to keep it open. It wasn't over trash. They just wanted to get rid of it. Or like Pismo, they're not shutting down Pismo because of trash. Those 52 trails by Big Bear, they weren't shutting those down because of trash. Um, Carnegie, they weren't shutting that down because of trash. So I can't actually think of a an area that's been closed because of trash, even though I could think of a couple that should be. Um, because there's some fucking gross areas and it's not really like the hardcore off-road enthusiast who's fucking this all this stuff up so bad. It's like the tweakers um, come up and just drop shit off. So it's it's awesome to see people who have like dedicated themselves to keeping our public lands um, free of all this bullshit. 
but also at the same time, you got to donate to people who are legislating for you because you're if you focus on that too much, you're going to end up with like a trail that's completely spick and span. But you're going to lose all your others because they made up some bullshit reason that they proved was false and had to give back two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in legal fees because the reason they've been closing it all this time ended up being complete and total bullshit, which literally just happened a month ago to Pismo. Um, but they're still it's like it's permanently closed right now. It's the odds of it opening again are pretty low. And it's because not enough people care. Uh, it's super frustrating. And also, like, I was at ORW the other day and they were like, do you want to round up to support land use? And I was like, oh, fuck, yeah, of course. And I was like, who's the money go to? And then they said it goes it, it goes to Orba, which is the Off-Road Business Association, which has never done a single fucking thing. It was literally the four-year legal battle at Aquatee Wells. I don't remember them being there. Um, the $120 million that was stolen from the OHV trust fund that they got back. I don't remember Orba being there. The trails that were shut down in Big Bear, any or almost shut down in Big Bear, any of that stuff. They weren't there. So what they do is they're real good at fucking shaking babies and kissing hands. And they just like fucking take the donations and don't do a goddamn thing with it, which is, of course, what happens with a lot of like nonprofits kind of in this area too, especially like the vet nonprofits. A lot of them do that. And yeah, fuck, am I going to end this on my high horse? I don't know why you guys listen to this. I'm always such a bummer. Um, this has been a really fucking weird podcast. I didn't like doing this by myself and I won't do this again. So the next one, I'll either have Brittany or I might start doing interviews, but I just want to make sure it's safe for everyone because like fucking, I just don't want to get nobody sick. So I'm definitely not going to do it until we have two mics. I'm not going to share a mic with someone. And then maybe we can be in like opposite sides of the room and talk to each other. And that'll be fine. I just don't want to kill nobody's grandma or nothing. Um, that would really bum me out. So thank you for listening to the Wheel Every Weekend podcast. If you guys have suggestions for new podcast ideas or people that we should interview, please let us know. This podcast is growing like crazy and we will be doing a bunch of reviews of products that we have purchased and what else i'm gonna start on the youtube videos once we moved into the new place and i got some pretty sick ideas of how to build the shop out so because this could possibly be like our forever home i'm gonna actually do everything right so i'm building like an acoustic enclosure for the air compressor and i'm running like hard piping all around for air tools and like overhead wires and a bunch of shit like that i think it'll be pretty rad you guys will dig it so uh, thanks for tuning in and I hope you guys have an awesome week and I'll talk to you.